So um, I want to continue our series on covenant. Uh, covenant is not a topic in the Bible. It is the Bible. I mean, it's not a, a topic like sin or like you know forgiveness or something. It is the whole Bible. How God relates to man in the Old Testament and today is always has been and always will be through covenants. All right, so last week I shared how God, the Father, made a covenant with Jesus, the Son. And that's, that's not, um, I didn't hear that growing up. I thought I made a covenant with God, and that it totally depended on what I did and how I related to God was totally based on my behavior. And if I did well, then me and God were good. But if I didn't do good, then I was up the creek and I was in trouble, and now I was going to get spanked and beaten like I was as a child, you know, when you, when you do something wrong. You've got to pull out the belt or shake the belt at you and then whack you. And that is not the relationship that we have with God. It's not. He is not like that. That isn't him. And we do not have a direct covenant with God. We have a direct covenant with God through Jesus. So it's based on Jesus' behavior, Jesus' performance. That's the grounds for the covenant that we can approach God, like the songs talked about and other things we heard today, is through what Jesus did as your representative on our behalf. Amen? When you get that switch in your brain, you will draw closer to God than when you do when you try to approach God on your own goodness. Because if you had a good week, pride puffs up, and then you're thinking, all right, God owes me something. No, he doesn't. You won't say it, but you'll think it. When you pray, oh, I'm going to get this prayer answered. You know why? Because I fasted this week, and boy, I spent five hours in prayer, so I'm going to get this. No, that's not how it works. We receive from God through faith, through his grace, in the covenant that Jesus made with the Father for you. Amen. All right, that should have been a better amen, I think. But anyway, we'll, we'll get you woken up here, hopefully, for too long. So Jesus represented us in this covenant process, and now we are the benefactors of the covenant. Amen? I wish someone would have told me that growing up. But anyway, I think in order to fully appreciate this new covenant, we need to understand a little bit about the old covenant, okay? Because God did everything through covenants. The first mention of the word covenant is in Genesis 6.18. That should be on the screen for you. It says, but I will establish my covenant with you, talking to Noah, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. This is the first time the word covenant was used in Scripture, and the word literally means to cut. So every time a covenant was made, there was a cutting. There was blood involved in this covenant. If you read the Bible, I think the Old Testament especially was proudly designed thinking, God was thinking, I got to get men to read this book. So how do I do this? I got to put a lot of blood in it. <laughs> it's not a bunch of girly movies with the uh, Lord mentioned that she cried three times at the movie the other night. And John was like, oh, great. Let's go see that one. <laughs> now you talk about a Rambo movie or something with blood. Then maybe you get some guys going to see it. But in the Bible, um, there's so much bloodshed. There's bloodshed with animals. There's bloodshed with humans. There's a lot of wars. There's a lot of battles. And we know why there's wars and battles. The Bible talks about that in James 4. You guys remember that. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So war doesn't come from the sovereign will of God. People say, I've heard people say to me, if there's a God, why is there all these wars? Why are there all this stuff? Because there's people. And they're selfish, and they fight, and they argue, and they're greedy, and they fight with each other. So we understand that. It's our selfish desire to cause fights in our house, in marriages, in family, in everything. Hopefully they're on different levels, these fights and wars, right? Not quite as intense as some. But what about the animal blood? Why was animal blood so important? You, you can't read 
the, the Old Testament and parts of the New without seeing all this talk about animal blood. But in Leviticus 17.11, it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So blood is special. Blood, it also says in the Word that um, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no atonement. There's no forgiveness without bloodshed. So uh, blood is special, and it's the only thing that God will accept in this covenant for the atonement for your sins, for the covering of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins for the guilty is blood. It's the only thing. You can come with anything else you want to. They could come with anything else they want to, but it wouldn't be acceptable, okay? So in the covenant that God made with Moses and the children of Israel, there was bloodshed every day. I mean, it was bloodshed every day. We know there was um, different sacrifices for sin. They had seven different feasts they had uh, throughout the year. And on the Day of Atonement alone, they would sacrifice one bull, and that was for the sins of the priest and the sins of his family. Then they would take two goats. One would go off into the desert as a scapegoat. They would impart their sins symbolically into that goat, and he'd wander off into the desert, and wild animals would later eat that thing and devour it. Um, but for the other goat, they would sacrifice on the altar, and that would represent the sin. <laughs> Anna's crying over there now. I'm sorry. There's gonna be. A, I'm just getting started, Anna. <laughs> wait, wait till you, there's, there's more coming. <laughs> but yeah, the animals are going to die. <laughs> so um, the second goat was killed uh, in that, for the sins of the people. But the blood from that goat, uh, that, that covered or atoned for their people's sins, all of Israel, not just Moses, but all of Israel for an entire year. Okay? An entire year. But even then they still offered other sacrifices. Like they offered daily burnt offerings, sacrifices. Twice a day, one in the morning and one in the evening, they'd offer a lamb. And this lamb uh, was, was killed, and it was for the unconditional, it was unintentional sins that people may have committed without realizing it. So it was just to be sure, we we're going to kill one in the morning and one in the evening in case you did something wrong that uh, you didn't realize that you did. Okay? Then uh, there's also five other offerings. Three of those offerings were volunteer offerings. You could do it on your own free will. And two of them were mandatory. The first one is a burnt offering. That could be a bull, a ram, or a bird, a dove, or a young pigeon for the poor. And they couldn't have any defect in these animals. This was a voluntary act of worship, and atonement for unintentional sins in general. And it was expression of devotion, commitment, and a complete surrender to God. So that's why they did these burnt offerings. The grain offering was fine flour. And this was a, also a voluntary act of worship, recognizing, recognizing God's goodness and his provision and devotion to God. So you had a good harvest. You had some grain offering. You wanted to praise God. You'd have a fire on the altar, and you put some grain on that fire as a way of thanking him for his provision in your life. Then there was a peace offering, another volunteer offering. Any animal from a herd or flock, but they, again, they couldn't have any kind of defect. And they also could offer a different type of variety of breads in this peace offering. Okay? This was a voluntary act of worship. Thanksgiving and fellowship included vow offerings, thanksgiving offerings, and free will offerings. All right, now there's two more. There's, these ones are the mandatory ones. Sin offerings. A lamb, if you could not afford it, uh, two doves or two pigeons would be sacrificed, and so, or some fine flour if you were very poor. It was a mandatory atonement for uh, specific unintentional sins, like contact with a dead body, contact with an unclean serpent, I don't know if there are any clean serpents or reptiles either, but an unclean reptile, contact with an unclean person. Also, if a man permits injustice by withholding information, 
that would be something they'd have to mandatory do this sacrifice for, or ignorant testimony that turns out later to be false. They'd have to do this mandatory sin offerings. And last but not least was a trespass offering, and this was always a ram. And this was mandatory atonement for unintentional sin requiring restitution. The person voluntarily uh, confesses to a wrong done in business or trade and makes restitution by paying a 20% fine. So they pay back what they did wrong in the, in the business deal, but then they have to add 20% on top of that. In this, plus they have to offer this ram as a sacrifice. So if you notice, all of these sacrifices covered unintentional sins, sins that they didn't realize that they were doing. It didn't necessarily mean they were all accidents, but it meant they weren't premeditated. Okay? There's a difference between you do something spontaneously without a lot of thought versus you thought about it for months and months and months and then you planned it and then you did it. Okay? That would be more of an act of uh, premeditation, an act of rebellion, and those people were just most times put to death. Okay? There wasn't no, uh, and you cursed your, your parents, that kid's going to die. Right? That was the old covenant. People talk about the old covenant in a way they wish they were still in it, but no, you don't. You don't really understand what you're saying because your kids would all be dead, especially in this generation. <laughs> We'd be dead, right? Who would be left alive? I don't know who. <laughs> I mean, uh, I know I said some things to my dad. I would have been dead for sure. So um, thank God for the new covenant, all right? So um, amen. So I want to show you a picture, if you can put that on the screen, of the tabernacle. Now, apart from the tabernacle and the bronze altar, there was no approach to God. So you see this curtain on the outside of the wall has a dimension there if you can see it um, we have the, the the gateway then we have the, uh, the brazen altar then the um, where they washed at the, uh, the lavar there and then there goes the holy place the outer court the inner court and then the holy of holies so apart from that altar the first thing they come to there was no approach to god other than that altar okay if you can go to the next picture for me this is a picture of uh, what that altar would look like it was, it was up on steps. It wouldn't be on the ground, but it looked something like this. You can see it's kind of a grate in the middle, and the blood would drip down through that into a basin, and they put that, uh, that was part of their altar. I'm going to tell you what a sacrifice looked like in that day. The guilty person would provide an offering and bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest would inspect the offering for defects and flaws. I want you to remember that part, okay? He's expecting the offering. He's not expecting you. You are not the offering. Jesus is the only one who was the offerer and the offering at the same time. Not you, okay? So the priest would inspect the offering for defects and flaws. He would lay his hands in the offering and part sins. Okay, this was a normal thing they did. Uh, he would walk up the ramp with the ram and put it on the grate and tie it down, connecting it to the, connecting it to the horns on the corners of the altar. He would then slice its throat. The priest would then catch the blood in a basin and pour out the blood at the foot of the altar. He would also sprinkle blood on the sides of the altar. Then the priest would cut the ram into pieces, wash the inner parts and legs, putting them with the head and other pieces on the altar. I told you, Anna, it was getting better. And uh, then they would burn the entire ram, okay? There was blood on the priests. There was blood on the people. There was blood on the ground. There was blood on the altar, there was blood on the utensils, there was blood everywhere. It was everywhere. This wasn't, this wasn't this nice, cute little service. This was a slaughter, okay? Because sin is serious, and our sinful condition is serious, and it takes blood to cover sins, and it takes blood to atone for sins. It takes special blood to actually forgive you and cleanse you from them. All right, that's the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews 9, 22, it says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. 
And it goes on, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So whether we like the blood thought or the blood scene of the Old Testament, that was the covenant that they had. They had no choice. God said it. That's the way it's going to be done. Whether they understood it, knew it, or liked it, was irrelevant. That's the way it was because God said it. Right? So uh, in, just think about all these animals that died over the years, okay? This plan went on for roughly 1,400 years. And we know it went on even back to the Garden of Eden. If you think about it, there was uh, animal sacrifices going on there. Even God killed an animal to make skins for Adam and Eve to wear. But approximately 1,400 years, Mosaic Law was in place, and they were killing these animals. And in one year, during the feast, 85 bulls were killed. 85, one year. 25 rams, 148 lambs, and 15 goats. <laughs> Anna, stop looking at me like that. <laughs> it's history. It's not today. We're not doing it today. Praise God. Anyway, uh, there, <laughs> there was, uh, 273 animals were killed a year during those feasts. On top of that, there was 720 lambs killed a year from the daily sacrifices. The Jewish calendar was 360 days, so one in the morning, one in the evening. So... Uh, plus the daily volunteer offerings of some 3 million Israelites. Now, just imagine, say 10% of them were guilty a year. Well, that would be a very low number. But say 10% in, of the 3 million, that's 300,000 uh, people, potential extra offerings that would happen throughout the year. So that gives me a total of 300,993 animals a year. Now you multiply that by 1,400 years, you have 420, I just like numbers sometimes, I just tell you, so anyway. <laughs> That's 421,390,200 animals during that 1,400 year, and that is a very low estimate of what was going on. If you look at 2 Chronicles 7.5, it says that Solomon dedicated the temple, uh, when, he, when he dedicated the temple, 22,000 cattle were killed, and 120,000 sheep and goats were sacrificed in one day. That's 144,000 animals in one day when he consecrated, dedicated the temple. And according to the Talmud, a Jewish religious text, the Holy Temple was the only place where Israelites could sacrifice animals as offerings to God. Part of the animals were, that weren't sacrificed as burnt offerings were often left for the people to feast on. Some passages in the text depict priests wading up to their knees in blood. Did you hear me? And others describe 1.2 million animals being slaughtered in one day. 1.2 million. Now, they must have had a lot of priests to be able to do that. I mean, like thousands and thousands of priests to be able to do 1.2 million in a day. Uh, so the exact number of sacrifices is impossible for us to know and figure it out, but we know it was a lot, and we know there was a lot of blood. This wasn't this clean cut. There was blood everywhere. Everywhere, okay? So... Um, even after all this blood, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, right? It was only a constant reminder of their sins. So apart from the covenant and the sacrifice on the, on the brazen altar, there was no approach to God. There was no other way. You had to go through this covenant, and you had to go through that altar to approach God. If they didn't, there was serious consequences. Think about the man who picked up sticks on the Sabbath. What happened to him? He was stoned to death, right? You guys remember that story? Or, the, or a priest went into the Holy of Holies in an improper way at the wrong season, the wrong time, the wrong way. He was instantly struck dead. How about uh, uh, Yuza, who touched the Ark of the Covenant, was falling off the cart when King David was moving it, trying to take it back home. He reached out to touch it to save it. Boom, instantly he's dead. He's not supposed to touch it. 
Or how about the 70 men from uh, Beth Shemesh who looked inside the Ark of the Covenant, lifted the lid and peeked in, boom, 70 of them were instantly dead. Do you still want to be under the old covenant yet? Just wonder. Um, how about Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, who were priests, offered unauthorized fire to the Lord, and instantly they were both killed. Died, okay? This is what Moses said to his brother Aaron right after his two sons died. I don't see a lot of compassion here, but he was, this is what he said. Moses says to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I'll be honored. And Aaron remained silent. Guys, it was the people's responsibility to know the covenant. If you didn't know it, it was your fault. King David somehow didn't know it, that you weren't supposed to take the, the Ark of the Covenant back on a cart, and it cost someone his life. He, he should have, if it would have been preached and taught all the way through, they would have known that Levites had to carry that on poles. But he didn't know it, and it cost that guy's life. It's their responsibility to know the covenant. It's just like today, you can't uh, get pulled over by a police officer and say, well, you know what, I'm sorry, I didn't know the law. I didn't know the speed limit, so I asked for mercy, following the mercy of the court. Well, too stinking bad. You're supposed to, know the, you're supposed to know the law. There's signs everywhere to tell you how fast you're allowed to go, and you're supposed to know, and you're going to get fined for it. In the same way, they're supposed to know. It's their responsibility to know the terms of the covenant that they're supposed to walk in with God. And if they didn't, there was serious consequences, sometimes life or death, right? So God takes covenant very seriously, very seriously, okay? Um, does that seem fair? Does it seem whatever? It really doesn't matter if we think it looks fair. Or it doesn't look fair. It's God's covenant with man. And it's, what, it's, it's based on what God said, and he's God, so he gets to decide. Amen? All right, praise God. It gets better. All right. Praise God that we're, what I wanted to show you, <laughs> that blood was a big part of the old covenant. It was happening every single day there was animals dying for blood covering sins. Now, I want to show you just how important uh, covenants are to God and how seriously he takes them. In the book of Joshua, God orders the Israelites not to make any covenants with any of their neighbors, okay? The surrounding kings around them knew that, and they made this plot to come against them. And so we'll pick this up in Joshua 3. You should have that on the screen for you. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done in Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. They, they were pretending to be from a faraway land when really they were neighbors. They were from close by. Verse 7, Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where did you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. Um, because of the name of the Lord your God, we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites and beyond the Jordan, the Shihon king of Heshbon, the Og king of Bashan, and the Ashtroth. Therefore, elders and all the inhabitants of the country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go and meet them, and say to them, we are your servants, now therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot on our, 
our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we, which we filled were new, and see they are torn. And these are garments, and our sandals have become old because of the long journey. So see how they're being clever. They put this old junky stuff on in moldy bread to pretend that they were from far away when really they were their neighbors. They were coming close. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Big mistake. Big mistake. So logically, it seemed like the right thing to do, but it wasn't the right thing to do. They didn't ask God. Verse 15. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Now, three days later, they found out this was a lie, that the, the bread was a lie, their clothes was a lie, where they lived was a lie, everything they had said was a lie. They found this out three days later, but they already made the covenant. It was already sworn. There was already bloodshed. Every covenant is going to be cut a covenant. There's going to be blood involved, and they could not go back on that. So I'm wondering, these guys honored the covenant, but did, uh, did God honor that covenant? Even though it came through deception and lies, did God honor that covenant? Well, let me show you this. We're going to fast forward 400 years. This is 2 Samuel 21.1. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, It is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. If you remember, the Gibeonites were the one that just dressed up as ambassadors, came and traveled from a close distance, pretended to be far away, with dirty clothes, all that kind of stuff. When Saul's day, 400 years later, he, I don't know if he knew about the covenant or he didn't. It doesn't say. But he killed them, and he wasn't supposed to do it. And God was upset because he broke the covenant. They made a covenant to protect them, and he killed them. And now he, they're getting punished with a three-year famine for something they didn't even know about. But they were responsible to know about it. Even though they didn't know, it was still the responsibility to know. It was affecting them 400 years later, something that their forefathers did that they maybe had record of, maybe didn't, we don't know. Okay? So God honors covenant. Whether you know it or not, whether you remember it or not, whether you understand it or not, He still honors covenant. Amen? So David met with these, I'll tell you the rest of the story real quick. David later meets with these uh, Gibeonites, and he... Uh, he tries to make amends for this famine and apologize for what King Saul had done. And they asked for seven males of King Saul's descendant, descendants. And so he gives them seven males to be put to death. He kept Methuselah for himself, but he gave them seven other males. And they killed them and they hung them. And then uh, afterward that, David went and collected their bones. He collected the bones of Saul and Jonathan and brought them back and gave them a proper burial in their proper place. And then the famine ceased. It says in 20, Samuel 21, 14, it says, After that, God heeded their prayers for the land. Now, what a strange story, right? Now, do you still want to live under the old covenant? <laughs> I hope no one here did. In the first place, it's a new and better one, amen? But I'm telling you, we need to understand the old one to help us appreciate the new one. Okay? And what a strange story how these guys, whether David knew about it, whether Saul knew about it, we don't know. But they made a covenant under lies, under deception, and God still honored that covenant, and so did Joshua. He, argues, he didn't say three days later, well, I'm sorry, you lied to us, it's over. No, he made them slaves. They were woodcutters and water carriers, but he didn't kill them. They got to live, and that was what their goal was in this deception. So if God honored a 400-year-old covenant that was founded in lies and deception with moldy bread and old wineskins, 
how much more will he honor the covenant that he made with his own son? I need to say it again. Okay? If God honored a 400-year-old covenant, whether they knew about it or not, we don't know, it was founded on lies and deception, founded on moldy bread and wineskins, how much more will he honor the covenant he made with his own son? Now remember, when someone in the Old Testament brought a sacrifice to the priest, the priest's job was to inspect the lamb. Do you remember that? Okay, so I got a little lamb here today. I think this is his third appearance here, and this little lamb's seen better days. It used to be a lot more purple, and I think our dog has done a number on this guy too over the years. But uh, So this little cute lamb, Anna, <laughs> one year old, without defect, right, will be brought as a sacrifice to the priest. The priest would take it, and he'd open its mouth and look in there, and he'd check under the arms, look behind the legs, lift the tail. It couldn't have any spots, blemishes, or defects on it. It had to look absolutely perfect, okay? And then once that lamb was inspected, that lamb was slaughtered and killed for the sacrifice up for their sins, okay? Now, the priest did not inspect the person. He didn't say, now, what did you do? Why are you bringing this lamb to me today? What have you done? He didn't inspect him. He didn't check his armpits for blemishes or his back for moles or anything like that. He didn't go through his family line or lineage to see what he did or didn't do. He didn't inspect the man. He didn't inspect the woman. He inspected the sacrifice. And if the lamb was good enough, if the lamb was without defect, then their sins were covered and atoned for. It was, it was done. It was gone. So my question today is, why do we look at ourselves so much? If the priests in the Old Testament, under those strict environments, under those strict conditions, didn't even ask the guy what they did, didn't even find out what was going on, they just brought the lamb, they inspected the lamb, why are we doing inspecting ourselves so much? It's not to say your behavior doesn't matter, of course it matters, but I'm telling you, the sacrifice that was made for you matters more. The lamb that was slain for you matters more. They could have murdered somebody, they could have killed somebody, they could have lied, cheated, stole, they could have done whatever, and all they had to do was walk up with this lamb and give it to the priest. And I'm sure they'd feel bad about that. Their kids say, Dad, why are you going to kill that lamb? Well, let me tell you. I don't know, they maybe or maybe are not told them what they did. But he said, this is the only way to atone for the sins that I've done. So the whole reason Jesus came to this earth as a baby, he came to die. He came to cut covenant, the, the son, with the father. So we could be redeemed back to the Father and have a right relationship with God, not based on laws, rules, regulations, but based on a covenant of blood for you and for me. If the blood of bulls and goats could atone for their sins for an entire year, how much more the blood of Jesus for you and for me? Your sins are not atoned for. Your sins are wiped away. There is no other blood coming. There is no more sacrifice for sin. There isn't going to be another sacrifice. The animal sacrifice has stopped. It's over. They're, all those millions of animals, they're safe and protected now. We're free to eat them. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> yeah, I had, sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> all right. But Jesus' blood, one-time sacrifice for sin, washed you completely free, completely clean, as if you've never sinned before in your entire lifetime. That is how God sees you now. If you have faith in the blood of bulls and goats, how not have faith in the blood of Jesus? If they can have faith in the blood uh, or a covenant made with Moses, how much more faith can we have in the covenant that God himself made with Jesus the Son? Amen?
So guys, today I want us to stop looking so much at our own self. The devil wants you to search yourself intently, search and search and search, looking for your faults, failures, and blemishes, your mistakes, and meditate on those things until you feel worthless about yourself. And God says, no, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. If the sacrifice was good enough, then you're now good enough. If the Lamb of God had no faults and defects, and then the, then the sacrifice was accepted, then all your sins are washed, are washed away. Amen? So how much more, if God honored that 400-year-old covenant with the Moabites that was built on lies and deception, how much more will God honor the covenant that he made with his very own son? Amen? Guys, this should give us confidence. This should give us boldness when we pray. You are not approaching God of yourself. You are approaching God through the blood of Jesus. Okay, I want to read Hebrews 10 for you guys in closing. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Come on, confidence. Not weak, wimpy, and oh, it's me. I'm such a worm. And oh. No, you're not. My gosh, I can't take that anymore. Somebody help me. <laughs> you are not a worm. Jesus didn't come and die for worms. Jesus didn't give his blood for worms. He gave his blood for his sons and his daughters. Amen. You can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, the most holy place through the blood of Jesus. Verse 20. By a new and living way. Remember, the old animals were killed afterwards. This sacrifice still lives. Open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near to God. So it says we, have, we can go to the boldly or with confidence to the most holy place. Now it's saying we can come close to God all through your behavior, all through your confession of your sins, all through your reading your Bible or fasting or praying. No, you have a covenant with God. You have a right to walk in because of what Jesus did. And we just do those other things as a byproduct of being in Christ, not to earn a place with Christ. Okay? Verse 22, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, not half assurance, not halfway, no timidity needed. You have a place. God has prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You can walk in there with boldness and confidence, with full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled and cleansed from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Guys, your spirit, because of the blood of Jesus, is now perfected forever, even after you sin. I know that sounds blasphemous, and, I, and I'm not encouraging sin. I am not promoting sin. I, I, you know, whatever. You guys know that, okay? <laughs> All right? But I'm saying, when you sin today in this new and better covenant that's founded on better promises, with a better mediator, with a better high priest, with better blood, when you sin today, your spirit is so sealed by the blood of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit that sin cannot penetrate your born-again spirit anymore. It can affect your soul, it can affect your body, it can affect your emotions, but it will not penetrate your born-again spirit, and you still have the right to boldly approach the throne of grace and receive mercy in time of need based on what Jesus did, not what you did or didn't do. We've got to get that out of our heads. It's all about us, because it's not about us. It's all about Jesus and what he did for us as our representative. And now, because of that, there's rights and privileges, and benefits, and you need to know about them. It's your responsibility to know about them, and if you don't know about them, there's consequences. Amen? Sometimes serious consequences. We see that in the church. 
in the body of Christ. We see things going on in people's lives that they're living way below the covenant rights. All right, I'm not speaking to anyone in particular. I'm just saying in general, we need to know our covenant. And we can't be preaching that God hates you and God hates this and God hates that and expect someone to get faith to believe or answer prayer or faith to walk in the covenant or faith to walk in the privileges that have been given by God. It was Jesus' blood, not yours. Amen? So this is an Old Testament. I'm going to close with this. I think that's my second closing, but I did plan this one. So uh, Psalm 103. This is from the Old Covenant. So anything you can find in the Old Covenant that was part of the covenant, you better know it's in the New Covenant because the New Covenant is found on better promises with a better covenant, with a better mediator and blood and, and all of that. This is Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. This is King David reminding himself, in all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. I'm telling you, it's easy to forget. We need to remind ourselves. Who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, not some. Come on, somebody. Not some. There's not certain categories of, oh, this one's a big one. This has got a C on it, so this must be bigger than the blood of Jesus or bigger than our covenant with God, and it's not. We've elevated it because of disaster and tragedy that we've seen, but we've forgotten the covenant. We have a covenant right with covenant privileges based on Jesus for different things. In the same way, when they didn't know about the covenant, there was death. We don't know about it. There's death. It says, it says my people perish because of lack of knowledge. We have to know the covenant. We have to know our rights of the covenant. Amen? Who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Guys, if this stuff is in the old covenant that was found on the blood of bulls and goats, that year after year after year, hundreds of thousands of animals were slaughtered just to cover their guilty consciences, how much more now through the one-time sacrifice, through the one-time covenant of the blood of Jesus who paid for all your sins, past, present, future, how much more now would we qualify because of what Jesus did for these new and better promises? Amen. Now, I know it's logical, but there's also a fight in this. There is a fight. The devil doesn't want you to know. The devil doesn't want you to receive it. But guess what? In the covenant, it doesn't matter what the devil likes or doesn't like. It's a covenant, and God said it, and he meant it, and that settles it. He's not, we're not playing poker, Joe. <laughs> we're not playing tillywinks. It's a covenant. God said it. He meant it. And that means it. So guys, that's how you can come boldly to the throne of grace and expect, answer prayer, expect things based on the blood of Jesus, not based on yourself. Amen. This will give you the faith and confidence you need when you're praying for something that's scary. Or you've seen it go a different way for other people. But now it's your, your turn or your family's turn or someone else's turn going through this. It can be different, but you got to know the covenant. you got to know what Jesus paid for. Amen? And you got to rely on it, lean on it, put weight on it, uh, trust it that God's going to hold his word and not break the covenant with you. Again, if he honored a covenant from four, that was 400 years old, made on deceptions and lies, how much more will he honor the covenant that he made with his very own son for you and for me? Amen? And I want you to remember that line for when you're praying sometime. Or when it's a battle and you're pressing through fearful thoughts and fearful speculations and fearful imaginations of the what-ifs and the embuts and, oh, my gosh, and the what about this guy and what happened to them and stuff. And remember that God is not a man that he should lie. 
He's not a son of man that he'll change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? No, he doesn't. He watches over his word, and he's faithful to carry it out into completion for those who stand on it. Not for those who are like, well, I guess it might happen. I hope so. And you flip a coin, it's eeny, meeny, miny, mo or something. That's not faith. That's religion. All we can do now, brother, is pray. Oh, God, it's come to that. <laughs> like it's a punishment to pray. It's come to that. Amen. All right, will you stand, please? I'm going to bless you. God and his word can be trusted. God and the covenant can be trusted. The blood of Jesus can be trusted. All right? So today, if you are carrying around guilt, shame, and condemnation, I want you to know something. It didn't come from God. And God doesn't want you to carry it. God, Jehovah, God, he doesn't want you to carry guilt, shame, and condemnation anymore because all that was imparted into Jesus when he became sin who knew no sin so you could become the righteousness of God. Just like they imparted sin into the lamb or into the ram and things. All your sin was imparted into Jesus at the cross. All of it. Past, present, future. It was imparted into him. He became sin so you could become righteous. Amen? Amen. So God, I just pray for right now for my friends and the family here of the covenant. God, you'd help us to know and understand the terms so we can walk in the blessings and the benefits that you paid for for your children. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. God, I pray for guilt, shame, and condemnation to be forever wiped away right now from our consciousness that the blood of Jesus was, would sprinkle and cleanse that guilty conscience and know that we know we've been forgiven forever by the blood of Jesus. Amen. We now have a covenant of forgiveness. He said, your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. Thank you, Lord. We are now sons and daughters of the covenant, and when we know this, I believe we'll act that way. So God, I bless your children today. I thank you for them. I pray for increase in wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that we can walk in all the things that you paid for for us, that we would be a reflection of you on this earth, a reflection of your glory and goodness on this earth. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.